Tooth Nations. Sportsnet 650 is the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Sports six, Sportsnet 650, but there is no Halford. There is no Bruff. They're off for, well, we'll see. We'll see. Today, at least. Uh, it's myself, Jamie Dodd. It's my regular co-host on Canucks Talk, Thomas Strand. It's Halford and Bruff. It's a Canucks Talk takeover of Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 6, 650 this morning. No Halford, no Bruff, but still a sense of Christmas spirit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bruff is absconded to Aruba. Nice. Good for him. Yes. He you know what? You know what? I, I would if I could. <laughs> I don't I don't mean to be um I don't mean to stunt on Bruff on his own program. No, we but he we needs encourage it. it. But Please he do. but he needs it. He needs the time <laughs> off. He needs he needs a, some vacation time in Aruba, so Drancer, I give you permission while you're here to make as much fun of him as you possibly can. <laughs> Don't hold back. Whatever you want to say, think of this as therapy. Well, now that I have your permission. <laughs> it's like I, was gonna, I had a list. I was going to do it anyways. I may just do so. No, uh, no Halford, no Bruff. So we're, we're, and we're not doing their show, right? We're doing. No, we are. Oh, oh we this, are. This is, still, <laughs> this is still Halford and Bruff. This is still Halford and Bruff. So we're not doing we Canucks got, talk in the morning. If you're watching on the stream, we've got the Halford and Bruff logo. Yes. I confirm that. Which I, by the way, clearly am not. (laughs) I'm in the room, but whatever. It has a Canucks bent. It's worth noting this is going to be podcasted and replayed as Canucks talk later in the day today and tomorrow. So it's basically like a hybrid. It's two shows at once. This is the Mule episode of Halford and Bruff. So we're going to do all of the Halford and Bruff stuff. Okay. And then it's going to, but it's going to be a lot of Canucks talk. Because <laughs> it's going to be a repackage. I feel like we should have told Drancer this yesterday. We're just telling no, him on the fly. Fine. So this is how the show is going to be today. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure you guys did tell me. I this just is, don't pay No, attention. I think I checked with Barra. I checked with our boss. I was like, wait, so are we doing our show or their show? And he was like, oh, their show. And I was like, okay, cool. But then I forgot to relay that information. Now, it's worth noting on Friday, you do have football guests and you've got like uh, the Moj. But of course, you could just talk about the food with the Moj. Yes. You don't even have to talk about football with I, him. He doesn't I, look, care. I just the, thought you guys wanted my best effort, but now I realize that I can be lazy and, and just use you can half of my butt. We run a we run a tight ship well, on no, Canucks I'm, Talk. I, I, <laughs> Clearly. I'm now going to I'm now going to approach this program uh, with the spirit that Halford and Bruff do. And <laughs> so I'm gonna put it in cruise control. Yeah, fifty percent uh, at most. <laughs> yeah. I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be good to go. Uh, of course, you hear Andy Cole, the A Dog, and uh, I don't know if Balak has chimed in yet or not, but Greg Balak is here. Laddie. So we got half oh, the hi. show. Hey, guys. Half the show. <laughs> you got the best half. Yes. The best half of the show is here still to keep us in line. Um, big show coming up. Oh, I got to do some reads here before we go. Before we go any farther, the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Also, probably should mention, because people keep texting in, today, tomorrow, and possibly Friday, yeah. the first hour of the show is not happening. So the show's yes. going to go from 7 because to 9, because uh, we're- Drax like, and I are like, ah, 6? Six? 6 is early. I don't see it. Yeah, so <laughs> 7, seven to it. 9 today and tomorrow, possibly Friday as well, if Bruff's still sick. 
yeah, we will see. We will see. We'll keep you appraised as uh, as a lot of people are doing. We're, we're just trying to do our best here going into the holiday season with availability. This hour of Halford & Bruff brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. Of course, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And as always, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. David Amber is going to join us in about 10 minutes. We'll uh, do a little spin around the league with him. Some breaking Artem Zub news to get into with David Amber. At Big <laughs> Artem <laughs> Zub yes. news. What everyone turns on their radio to hear in the morning. We also the have uh, about Artem Zub. Big Canucks. We have, not big, but Canucks tickets yes. to give away today as well. It's yes. the Kraken game on Thursday so for, for your the, best what we learn. The best what we learn submission, which we will do as scheduled at 830. So get your submissions in. Hashtag WW. Well, what you learned in the last 24 hours of sports and the best submission as chosen by us gets to go to the Kraken game uh, against the Canucks tomorrow. And then uh, 730, Jeff Baker, speaking of the Kraken from the Seattle Times, will join us. Eight o'clock, our guy Chris Faber from Canucks Army and the Canucks Conversation podcast. But first, let's begin with what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... You know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? So, no Canucks game, obviously. No football. No, but this is where I get to talk about the U, the U of M, the U of Miami Hurricanes taking down number two ranked Virginia behind a blistering first quarter from Isaiah Wong. Is it? Is it where you get to talk about that? I don't know. I mean, that's what happened. (laughs) That was one of the big games in college hoops yesterday. You win some money on that one? Oh no! Yeah, like I bet on U of M. <laughs> they're not. They're not in the WCC, so they're, yeah, they're yeah. off your radar. Uh, I was going to start in the NHL, and here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, even though the Canucks didn't play, I'm going to tie everything that happened. Oh, that seems probably yeah. wiser than my approach of talking about college hoops. <laughs> I'm going to tie everything that did happen in the NHL back to the Canucks. Because here's the thing: no matter what you want to happen. For the Canucks this season, no matter what your you know your deepest desires are for the Canucks, whether it's to go on a miracle run to the playoffs or whether it's to sink to the bottom of the standings and land Connor Bedard, no matter what you want to happen, last night didn't help. Last night hurt your cause, no matter what it is. The Flames beat the Sharks, the Kings beat the Ducks, Seattle beat St. Louis, Winnipeg beat Ottawa. If you still want to make the playoffs, all of the teams above you that you're chasing you know, with we can debate how much realistic hope there is, but all of those teams that you would theoretically need to chase down, they all won. And all of the teams below you or around you in terms of lottery position, they all lost. So it got harder to catch them as well. So it was the perfect mushy middle night for the Vancouver Canucks. All the teams above them got farther above them. All of the teams below them got farther below them last night, Trance. You get what you deserve in this league sometimes. You know, a, a mushy middle night is a fitting Christmas gift for a mushy middle team. You know, you want to be really bad? That takes work. You got to plan for that. You got to execute on that. In this league, like, it's hard to be bad. It's hard to be good. Honestly, it is. It's hard to be worse than Chicago. Come on. They're really so bad. Hard. Really hard to be worse than Anaheim. Really hard. <laughs> like, really, really hard. Really hard. So it takes work. And you know what? It takes work to be good. And it takes a plan to be good. And it takes a a lot of discipline and years of execution to be good. And, yeah, this team hasn't done it. This team hasn't put it in. 
so they get what they deserve. Um, how about the referee shoving Michael Bunting last night? Yeah. What was that? That was bizarre. That was up there with, do you remember last season when that one referee kicked the puck to the Bruins? Yeah. It's just like, oh my goodness. Hey, you don't want to get a, shoved? Get off the ice. That is a brutal moment. You want to, you, you can't, you can't be putting, you can't be having that visual if you're an NHL referee. You just can't, you just can't. NHL refs, man. Like how many times do you think that's going to be replayed the next time, you know, oh, let's think about it. Maybe a suspicious high stick goes against the Leafs in a crucial playoff game, negating a goal in a situation you never see that happen. How many times are Leafs fans going to play that gif? And by the way, I'm not assuming that like there's a conspiracy theory when incompetence will justify <laughs> the actions of NHL officiating. But, like, that was a really bad visual for the league. A really big problem for me. Do we want to do some uh, some Artem Zub discourse? We can do some Artem just, Zub. Just came in okay, before I'll, we started the show. Artem Zub signs a four-year extension with the Ottawa Senators. I want to give you two facts about Artem Zub. Let's do it. Okay. Artem Zub is now paid like a top pair defenseman in the NHL. That's fact number one. There are what? It's like 66 defensemen that make four four and a half million more right. or more. Or four, 68 defensemen. So there's, right 64, on the number, there's 64 yeah. top pair defensemen. Artem Zub is now one of them in terms of how he's compensated. Artem Zub is now a top pair defenseman. And yet he would be the fourth highest paid defender on the Vancouver Canucks. Those are your two facts. Take from them what you will. Here's what I like about the Zub deal really quickly. I think Zub's a good player, first of all. Right, big right-handed Russian-born player doesn't have a ton of NHL experience. He's kind of like you know what he is. He's kind of like the defenseman version of Andre Kuzmenko. He's just like a found money player who came over from the K, and it's like, oh look, this guy. He's big. He's mobile. He's skilled enough, and he can hold up in tough minutes. Top pair defenseman, and he plays top pair minutes for Ottawa. So, what I like about this bet is this bet is in line with the Bear Hoaglander bets that I sometimes. Uh, Mm. Uh, you know, call for on Canucks talk. I like bets where you bet on the floor of a player, right? So it's like if Zub is just who he is for four more years, he will provide you with a market value, like low end top pair defenseman, right? A, a, a classic two, three. That's what you're paying him to be. If he develops not one single iota, you will have paid the price for what he is, right? And on a four-year deal, it's just going to take him through 31. You're still confident that a defender is going to be, you know, have the wheels spinning at 31. So I like those parts of it. If Zub continues to develop, and he's had some injury issues, he's had some durability concerns. Like, it's not like he's had, you know, a consistent run on a on a good team or a structured environment, right? Like, if he can level up alongside Thomas Shabbat and be something where you look at him and say, hey, you know, this guy's... Maybe a little bit better than a low-end top pair defenseman. Maybe he's like a real top, you know, like a, a middle-class top pair defenseman. Then you're getting a million and a half, two million in surplus value in crucial years where the Ottawa Senators obviously want to improve. Pierre Dorian, despite the the hot Pierre summer t-shirts that were handed out in the <laughs> nation's capital this summer, has had a tough few months. A lot of he was praised rather luxuriously for those some of those bad trades, like the Dabrinkit deal. That's a really tough one, even though Dabrinkit's played fine. Like it's a, it's a $9 million QO. I don't think you want to trade a top 10 pick 
for for a nine million dollar QO. Like yikes. Anyway, this is a really sharp bet for the Auto Centers. This is the sort of bet that the Canucks should be looking to replicate. Zub has more value today than he did yesterday. Those are the best types of contracts to sign. I actually think Ottawa is better than their record indicates. I oh, know they lost lot. last night, but I would choose them. We've we've had this debate back and forth, not specifically about Ottawa, but just about which teams do you expect to finish where in the standings, and I would expect Ottawa to climb the standings from the position well, they're in right now. Not to the heights that everyone was – people got ahead of themselves. Let's let's be honest about that not with me. the Ottawa Senators I had in my the Ottawa summer. Senators fade going. But I now, now I think there's a backlash where it's like, oh, same old Ottawa, they're going to be in last place. And I think it, the truth is in the middle. They're going to be better than they are right now, but not to the uh, maybe goofy heights that some people projected them in the well, summer. They're going to be better than the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. That I would choose them to hit to finish above the Canucks in the standings. Oh, without question. Remember when they remember when the Canucks played the Senators and beat them? And it was just like Ottawa completely dominated possession yeah, and just I like kept missing the net. The, the the comparison I made on our show was they looked like the Harlem Globetrotters. Like Yikes. seriously, that's <laughs> like they did in the Canucks defensive zone. But we've seen a lot of that uh, against the Canucks. The other thing I wanted to mention in terms of what happened, and normally I wouldn't bring this up, but I think all of a sudden there's a lot of focus on the Abbotsford Canucks, right? All of a sudden you have not just Jack Rathbone, not just Danila Klimovich down there, but you've got Vasily Podkolzin, you've got Niels Hoaglander. It was his Niels Hoaglander's first game with the Abbotsford Canucks. And I had to chuckle at this because I pull up the scoreboard and, hey, they beat San Jose 6-2. All right, let's go. Check the box score. No points for Hoaglander. No points for Podkolzin. No points for Danila Klimovich. So they win. They win big, 6-2. Probably any of the players that you were most interested in producing uh, did not find the score sheet in the 6-2 win for Abbotsford. Just wanted to throw that out there. We'll um, we'll have more Abbotsford Canucks talk with Chris Faber later in the show. How much do you think getting Hoaglander down there, like if Hoaglander doesn't come back on the 28th when he's eligible to be recalled following the holiday break, I think that speaks volumes about how management views the environment at the NHL level. Yeah. And one, so we talked about this on our show <laughs> like, yesterday, Like as right? an infectious property that young players must be protected from. And and maybe we'll get into this later, but we had a text, because we talked about this yesterday in the show, right? That they're basically almost sending Hoaglander down, not as like an indictment of Hoaglander's play, but oh man, things are so bad here. We don't want you around this right now. And somebody texted into our show if they like the environment in the AHL so much, like why not get Jeremy Colleton up here? And y- you know what I mean? If if you think he's putting the structure in place and you don't like the structure that's up here, why not have it a go? Give it a go for the for the remainder of the season and see if he can do it at the NHL level for you as well. And then you have three head coaches on the books. You Somet- do. Sometimes sometimes you gotta go with the Occam's razor explanation, and this might be one of those times. Uh by the way. Uh, we're going to get David Amber on the line here in just a second, but A-Dog reminded me, if you want to be entered in the uh, for the tickets for the Kraken game tomorrow, in your What We Learn submission, make sure you include the ticket emoji. And uh, I heard Bruff say this on the show yesterday, and I agree. As, as somebody who's been in this position, A-Dog, only include the ticket emoji 
if you can actually go to the game. Because yes. there's truly nothing worse than hit, reaching out and saying, hey, you're the winner. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm definitely not going. Yeah, and then you got to track like, down somebody else. Yeah, so. one guy like, I was, I'm actually in Arizona, so I can't go. <laughs> yeah, no, probably... I, have no, I have no intention of going whatsoever. Yeah. So only include the ticket emoji if you can actually use the tickets to tomorrow's Kraken game. Uh, now joining us on the show here on Halford & Bruff with Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance filling in. You see him all the time as part of our NHL on Sportsnet coverage, uh, our pal David Amber. David, thanks as always for doing this. How are you? Doing well. Hey, fellas. What's going on in Vancouver? The snow. It's pretty nuts. And I got to say, leaving my house this morning, you know, pre-6 a.m., it was a bracing cold that I think the rest of Canada is very used to. But out here, we're not so familiar with, David. It's tough. (laughs) Welcome to our world. (laughs) So... I knew we were going to have you on, and the first thing I thought about, David, was that just a little over a year ago, uh, you had a very a, a very famous or infamous tweet, and this was pre-Bruce Boudreaux coming in for the Canucks. <laughs> you had a very infamous tweet saying that, hey, I, I know I'm in the minority here, but I think if the Canucks do something in the next week or so, they could get back in the playoff race. And I know we had a lot of fun bringing you on, you know, while they were kind of surging up the standings with Bruce Boudreaux and checking in. And so I, I got to ask, all, just over a year later, are, are you willing to go out a limb on a limb again and, and buy in on the Canucks comeback chances this year? I am not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I am not. It feels, you know, once bitten, twice. It it feels a little different this year, I'll be honest. Like, I know the team got off to that horrible start last year, but it just felt like, I don't know, it just didn't, it felt different to me. It just felt like they were really underachieving last year. And this year, there's just been so much turmoil, um, really from day one. And, you know, you, you don't win a Stanley Cup in the first, 10 games of the season, but maybe you can lose a Stanley Cup in those 10 games. And, you know, when you start your season off with seven straight defeats and five of them where you've led by two multiple goals, you know, psychologically, that's a, that's a big hurdle to try and climb out of. And then just everything that's transpired since then, it's been just one, you know, sort of dramatic situation after another. And, and it continues to be, you know, even the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you know, their Twitter account, you know, feeling festive, and they show this picture of Brock Besser. It looks like he's about to start crying, and I'm thinking, man, like, what is going on? Just everything seems to have come unraveled. It just, it, we're all kind of waiting for the next step, right, guys? Like, we're waiting to see what happens, whether Bo Horvath's moved or Brock Besser's moved or there's a coaching change or what. We're just waiting to see what's going to happen. It just doesn't feel like this is a team ready to kind of pull together and, and make a surge towards the postseason this year. David, taking uh, taking our listeners around the league because this is technically part of the "What Happened" segment. Um, what what were your takeaways from what happened in the Maple Leafs Tampa Bay Lightning game? Both both in terms of Toronto's performance, rather rather clearly throttling the Lightning, but also uh, the visual of the referee and, and Michael Bunting toward the end. <laughs> well, two different things there. First of all, the Leafs they really were disciplined. They were prepared. Uh, maybe for them, that was some type of a statement game, you know, mm-hmm. against the team that eliminated them in the playoffs. You know, having said that, that didn't look like the version of the Tampa Bay Lightning any of us expects to be there uh, come playoff time. You know, they were held to eight shots in the first two periods. They spent the last three nights in Toronto. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate too much, but you know, they, a lot of the guys have family here, and you know, I think mm-hmm. it might have been maybe stopped being a business trip for a few of the guys uh, sometime during the 
the few days here and, and maybe not showed in last night's performance as far as Tampa is concerned. And the bunting thing was very interesting to me. And I was sitting with Luke Gazdick, former NHL player and a very tough guy who's been in a lot of sort of physical confrontations with, you know, referees and linesmen, you know, to, to usher him out of fights and usher him off the ice. And he was surprised with the level of uh, enthusiasm, we'll put it that way, that that the linesman had. And, and it's funny, he actually said, oh, I played against that linesman. You know, I had a fight with him in junior hockey. <laughs> and I and he, he played against Michael Bunting in the past, uh, you know, reports have. So maybe there was a little bit of history there. I think he kind of overstepped the boundaries of what you expect uh, from the amount of mm-hmm. force needed to, to get a player off the ice. Do I think anything is going to come out of it? Probably not. I, I imagine, you know, Stephen Walkham and the head of officiating will probably talk to him and sort of say, look, we can't do that. But I don't think the Leafs are going to make a big, you know, big, big point out of it. But yeah, I'm sure there might have been a little bit of embarrassment for Michael Bundy when, it, when the line's been kind of handling you that way and you don't want to be on the wrong end of, of something like that. Are uh, are Leafs fans already dreading a potential playoff matchup with the uh, with the Boston Bruins, given how Boston is playing this year, Amber? <laughs> you know what, guys? It's sort of pick your poison, right? You have Tampa, yeah, three times, <laughs> three times straight to the Stanley Cup final. You have Boston, who look like this unstoppable force right now, with you know a handful of, of sort of future Hall of Famers in their lineup. So it's uh, yeah, it's one of those years where the Atlantic Division is so top heavy. And the Leafs are right there, but you're right. They have, they have to go against two teams that have won the Stanley Cup, have made it to the Stanley Cup final, who win in the first round of the playoffs. And, and that's going to be the big narrative. Like, you know, how are the Leafs, even if they have this fantastic regular season, they're probably going to go into either series with Tampa or Boston as a prohibitive underdog, and understandably so based on their history. So already that narrative starting to play out here in Toronto. And, uh, you know, that's just how it's going to be until the Leafs can get past that dreaded first round. That's going to be all the chatter is what's wrong with these guys. They're, you know, why can't they do it? And now and look at who their potential opponents have to be. So people do want to see, some people at least want to see a bit of a shakeup of the playoff format, guys, because you could have a scenario where, you know, three of the top, let's say, five or six teams in the NHL are pitted in the same division. And I know it's a cyclical thing, and it could have been a different division, but as it stands right now, that's what we're probably going to see in the Atlantic, the way those three teams are, are rolling right now. Yeah, you know, you bring up an interesting point there. I've never been really a big fan of this playoff format. And I, I know the logic of it was okay. Well, we're going to get all the we're going to get these teams playing constantly, and we'll develop these rivalries. And you know, we've even heard rumors that maybe they're going to go to to more of a division heavy regular season schedule to try to promote those rivalries. But I, I don't know if ultimately rivalries are something you can engineer. It seems like it's just a more organic thing that develops naturally. And I think, as you said, the potential downsides of this playoff structure outweigh any, you know, any benefit by uh, getting these teams playing each other over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it really hasn't transpired. We haven't had the Islanders yeah. versus the Rangers. We've, we've had one version of Toronto versus Montreal, and it took the, the, the bubble to get that. We've had one version of the Battle of Alberta that was last year. You know, we haven't had as many of these, like, perfect rivalries that the NHL had envisioned taking place. Um, you know, I, I almost want to go back to when I was a kid, literally, when when I was a little, little kid, it was one versus 16, or, yeah, I think it was one versus 16, two versus 15. I mean, that, you know, I understand with travel and everything else, they don't want that. But, you know, maybe on a more traditional, like one versus eight in each conference, and then at least it does feel like there is a discernible advantage to having a great regular season, um, because sometimes there just isn't. You know, the way it's, it's the format is now, it just isn't 
isn't as um, you know fair to some teams the way it shakes down. Hey, David, we really appreciate the time this morning. Thanks, as always. Uh, we'll, we'll check back maybe later in the new year and see if you're uh, if you're more willing to buy in to the Canucks again. And have a great holidays. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, happy holidays. Thanks for having me on, guys. And, yeah, trust me, there's no one who'd like to see a turnaround with the Canucks more than me. I'm just <laughs> not feeling it exactly at this point, but who knows what the future holds. So thanks for having me on. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I think me... Well, I, I want to read. I want to read the text. I would like to see the Canucks turn it around. I think everyone would. It's one of, like who wouldn't? Oh, I was being sarcastic. No, but you, like in the long term, you would. Obviously, of yeah. course, everyone would. I did want to read you the tweet I was referencing from David Amber because it's. Uh, I didn't realize just how perfect it was okay. to read to you. But so this is from December fourth. So the day of. The Penguins It game. includes the words anything can happen? Yes, it does. Okay, the day of the go. Penguins game. He says, I'm likely in the minority, but I really think if the Canucks can go 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one during this homestand, they could get themselves into the playoff race. The math isn't in their favor, dot, 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 but anything can happen. <laughs> now, to be fair, he was not talking about getting into the playoffs and then anything can happen. Well, he was talking about getting into the playoff so, race. So, and he, and he was right in spirit, but, you know... Bird Dom Lecision's model, their their odds never peaked above twenty six percent, even even when they went on Very their good. run last season. So Very good. All right, you we know. gotta take a quick break here. Keep your uh your what we learned submissions with the ticket emojis coming in. No, golf claps awarded anyway. Okay. Golf Very claps. good. Uh Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. We'll talk Seattle Kraken with him. That's coming up next. It's Halford and Broff here, Sportsnet six six fifty. Out of the corner now. Moves him off through center. Here's Benito. Yeah, here comes Maddie Beniers right down Lenny Wilkins' way. Fantastic. Welcome back to Halford and Broff. Uh, no Halford, no Broff. They're out today, possibly for the rest of the week. We'll let you know. It's Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance replacing them. We're going to speak to Jeff Baker momentarily here. Uh, this hour of Halford and Broff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. And the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Broff is the Delari family of Acura dealers experience the Delari difference today. You looked like you wanted to say something for a second there, Drancer. Yeah, n- no Halford, no Bruff, no Joy in Mudville. Yes, indeed. You're stuck with us. <laughs> Potentially <laughs> until Christmas. We'll see. We will see. Uh, but now Tough. joining us, Tough L. looking ahead to tomorrow's game between the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle Kraken, uh, the Pacific Northwest rivalry that hasn't really developed yet. He is Jeff Baker for the Seattle Times. Jeff, thanks very much for making time for us. How are you? I'm doing well, except for the fact that I have to drive from Seattle to Vancouver. Oh, no. I'm not looking forward to that. Oh, no. Yeah, best of luck with that. It's been tough just getting, like, a few blocks in the Vancouver area right now. So that's uh, that's a tough one, Jeff. Yeah, so I've heard. My brother actually lives in Vancouver, works for the uh, Vancouver Fire Department. And, um, uh, yeah, he's been he's been filling me in with updates on it. It's the same thing in Seattle. So uh, I think the highways will be the safest place for me today. Yeah, you're better off driving in than flying in. <laughs> probably true probably true no question about at that. this point uh so we heard the clip the goal from from maddie Beniers, and i mean i think most conversations about the seattle kraken right now start with maddie Beniers. Uh, you know i i, I want to ask you about his play on the ice but also just for a team that had so much hype coming in didn't have the season they wanted last year in their inaugural season what has it meant to have kind of this legitimate star turn from a rookie 
uh, in Matty Beniers so far this year? Well, I think it's meant uh, it's meant everything to the Kraken. Uh, yeah, you know they brought in some talent besides Beniers this year, but uh, you know you look at him and, and you see you can see what the future might look like a few years down the road with him there and and it's not just a few years down the road they're doing it right now they're winning games right now i think it was very important i think um i I think they fell a lot flatter than they thought they were going to fall last season i mean we've heard a lot of talk about oh they're an expansion team this that and the other but the fact is they paid 650 million dollars to avoid some of these issues that expansion teams have historically gone through and they didn't do it last season uh you know part of the reason is they had some guys here that didn't really want to be here and I think they've, they've cleared some of those guys out. And, you know, and they brought in a handful of guys that actually have some goal-scoring talent. Uh, the defense hasn't changed much for this team. The goaltending hasn't changed much for this team. But uh, they have a, a few more guys that can put the puck in the net. And Beniers is one of them. And, and so we've seen the results. They're not, they're not winning every game by four or five goals, but, but they're winning games by a goal, maybe two. And, uh, you know, it was a slight, subtle shift that they had to make from last season. And, uh, and now their, their model, their, their analytical models and their, their, their systematic approach is, is actually holding up for them. Jeff, one thing that happens once you have sort of an outpost with a couple of NHL teams in it, uh, we see this in Florida and now we see it between Vancouver and Seattle, uh, is you get a lot of those back-to-back games, <laughs> opponents traveling back-to-back. We saw Seattle feast on both St. Louis and Winnipeg this week uh, following those two teams uh, playing well, blowing the Canucks out of their own building. Um, is that is that a factor? Like, is that an edge that the Kraken talk about or aware of? Uh, no, they need to capitalize off of it because they've certainly been full value for it over the course of the past seven days. Yeah, they go into these games uh, having it drilled into them. I mean, they haven't taken advantage of it all the time. And, uh, and you know, that upsets the coaching staff, and they hear about it afterwards. Uh, so that was definitely part of the messaging going into some of the games uh, the past week. And, um, you know, they, they, they've been full value for it. Uh, you know, there, there, there's some built-in advantage there, but the other problem about living in an outpost is uh, you got to travel a lot more than other teams do. <laughs> yep. And and so that, that kind of negates itself when, when they go the other way. I mean, they went to the uh, – the East Coast last week and got their lunch handed to them three times out of four. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much of a built-in advantage it is necessarily in the standings, but I agree with you. They, they definitely have to take advantage of it when it happens to them here, and um, and, and so they have thus far. Um, you know, the other thing they, they really need to take advantage of is, is, is beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. I mean, they, they, they starting with the Canucks, that would be one of them. I mean, they, <laughs> The Kraken, the, the Kraken have been full value for, for taking down some of the NHL's better teams, both this season and even last season when they could barely beat anybody. They were beating some of the best teams in the league. They, they took out Florida twice. And so, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, the, it's the, the so-called easier teams they're supposed to beat. Montreal came in here a couple of weeks ago, my, my hometown team, and, and they, beat, uh, they beat the Kraken, you know, not not easily, but it was it, it was a I think it was a four two game. I mean that that should never happen, uh, you know. And then Montreal went out and lost to Anaheim for like the second regulation win the Ducks had had all year. And so, you know that that that's kind of been the story of the Kraken. They have to start taking care of business, and they have to start taking care of business uh, with the Canucks. You mentioned a rivalry earlier, and I mentioned I grew up in Montreal. I mean I saw the Montreal Canadiens Quebec Nordiques rivalry back in the eighties. I yeah. saw them play the Bruins. Those were rivalries. Yeah. This is not a rivalry, and it won't be. 
because the Kraken haven't beaten the Canucks. You have to one team has to beat the other in order for anybody to start talking about a rivalry. Right now, it's not a rivalry. Yeah, how aware is the Kraken fan base of the uh, what are they? Oh, for six now, oh for five, oh for five in terms of the Kraken, uh, the Kraken's inability to defeat the team from you know the, the north end of the I five. I don't think the casual fans are that into it right now. I, I know that the hardcore hockey fans, and there are some here, that, you know, they, they mention it uh, quite a bit. And I think if they lose um, tomorrow night, it's, it's going to become more than just a minor annoyance. Because, I mean, this, this, is, this is what happened in October all over again. The Canucks couldn't win a game, and, and, they, they, and the Kraken are off to a pretty good start, and the Canucks waltzed right in there to climb a pledge and do what they've always done, and they beat the the Kraken, and here we go again. You know, the Canucks, I think they've lost, what, three out of four other seasons, kind of drifting nowhere nowhere fast, um, you know, and people are starting to moan about, you know, what happens with Bo Horvat, what happens with Bruce Boudreaux, what happens with the, with the front office. And so the Kraken are going to go in, and we all know they're going to get, you know, they're going to get their butts whipped again tomorrow <laughs> night. And that, that, that's that's, that's the, the script anyway. And if the Kraken want to flip the script, they they got to actually do something about it. they got to go in there. Um I don't know what the odds are on the first fight we're going to see, but I have a feeling we'll probably see a few fisticuffs flying in the first period. In conversation with Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times, you're looking ahead to the Kraken Canucks matchup tomorrow. Uh, one player, you know, speaking of any potential for a rivalry to really develop, if the Kraken do get their first victory against the Canucks tomorrow, and Jared McCann is a major part of it. That would certainly help rub some salt in the wounds of Canucks fans. Of course, a Canucks draft pick who's really, you know, found his stride in the NHL with the Seattle Kraken, already 15 goals this year after setting career highs last season. What has worked so well for Jared uh, Jared McCann, excuse me, with the Kraken? Well, one one thing... To start with, he's a very good player, very talented player. He scored uh, what, 28 goals last year, and I think he had only about five of them in the final three months of the season. Um, you know, the team itself caught up with him last year. I mean, he could have easily been a 35-40 goal scorer if he had a team around him, a much better team around him. Instead, I, I think, you know, players were able to hone in on him and Jordan Everly and realize nobody else on the Kraken could score. And so, you know, finally, after watching some video footage, uh, teams playing them second, third time around, knew who to key on and knew who not to let beat them. And I, and I think more often than not, that's what happened last season. This season, it's a little different. As I mentioned, they, they've got four lines with, with guys that are actually capable of putting the puck in the net. And, and that's what's been the story with the Kraken. It's no one line that's dominating. And so you can't really focus on any one player. Uh, that, that's one part of it. And then the second part of it, he's just been on a really, really well-producing line with Jordan Eberle and Matty Beneers. And, and the one thing they do really well is forecheck believe it or not. They're not three big guys. They're, they're fairly small guys, but they forecheck, I think, better than any line the, the Kraken have, probably even given their so-called checking lines. And, and, and they're able to go in there and dig for loose pucks and, and, and you know, convert the rebounds and, and convert second opportunities. And, and that's what they've been doing. And the, and the one thing with, with McCann is he'll shoot the puck from anywhere on the ice. Uh, he's not afraid to do that. And so they've been digging out the pucks. They've been feeding it to him, and he doesn't, he doesn't miss when he gets the chance. Jeff Martin Jones is a North Vancouver kid. We always like to get the Martin Jones update. He's been playing a lot. He's been playing a lot, and the, it's not like the Kraken are leaning on their goaltending. Uh, but 21 starts for for Jones so far this season, or 21 games played anyway. Uh, what's he brought 
Why why is he getting so much more usage than than Grubauer? Well, Grubauer was hurt for a while. He missed about five weeks of action. And so, uh, you know, Jones became the number one goalie by default. They don't really have anybody else in, in their system. I mean, they have Joey Decord, but he's never really proven himself at the NHL level. Um, he's a great AHL goaltender. So, you know, when, when Grubauer was hurt, it was all Martin Jones. And uh, the one thing Jones does is the one thing this team does really well. The, the, Kraken, the Kraken are a really um, consistent uh, well-producing team when they keep things simple and when they don't try to be more than they aren't. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, they're not the 1985 Edmonton Oilers when it comes to scoring goals. And and when they start acting like it on the ice, you know, when they had their big inflated record a couple of weeks ago, I think they were 15, five and three, you know, the players all of a sudden started trying to make these fancy passes. Uh, you know, they look like the 76 Soviet central red army out there trying to try to throw the puck around instead of just keeping it simple, going to the net, working hard and putting the puck in the net, taking shots and putting it in the net. They started doing that again the last couple of games. They're winning. Goaltending, same thing. I mean, Martin Jones, he, he, he's, not Martin, he's not Martin Brodeur in his prime, and we know that. We've seen that uh, throughout his career. And so at, at some point, uh, you know, where, where he's been winning games is when he sticks to making the initial save, when he sticks to the fundamentals, when he doesn't try to get too fancy, when uh, when he when the team this is very important too when the team doesn't require him to be spectacular, um, that's where he'll help you. He, he'll he'll help them out. He's been very solid in the fundamentals. He's not he's not giving up cheap goals from the blue line. He's not uh, giving up you know fifty foot rebounds. He, he's just making the initial stop. He's he's being solid fundamentally. And when the team plays its system, its two way system, and clears away those loose pucks and gets in you know blocks shots. Uh, stays out of the shooting lanes and doesn't screen Martin Jones, you know, he'll be okay. He'll give up a couple of goals, and that'll be it. And more often than not, they're winning those one-goal games. Where, where he starts to get in trouble is when the team, as I said, starts playing like, like the Central Red Army or the 76 Canadians or the 85 Oilers, you know, and they forget all about defense, although the Canadians had pretty good defense in those days. Um, when they forget about the defensive part, Jones hasn't been able to bail them out. I mean, they won a game 9-8 in Los Angeles where I've never seen two teams abandon defense and, and their structure the way the Kings and, and the uh, and the Kraken did that game. It was just abysmal. And Jones was in nets for, for all eight goals against, and he actually won the game. And, you know, they were asking Dave Haxtell afterwards why he didn't pull the goalie, and he said, well, there wasn't really anything to pull. Like, what are you going to do? Take them out. None of the goals were his fault. They're letting three guys get in the slot right in front of them, keep whacking at the puck. Eventually, it's going to go in. That's Martin Jones. You know, he, he's, he's as good as the system will allow him to be. And, and to an extent, Phil Grubauer's the same way. Um, they, they've been playing Grubauer a little bit more now um, when, when, he's, when he's in there. But the problem is Grubauer has been a little inconsistent. Sometimes, you know, he'll come to a game, allow some soft goals, then find his game later. And, and Hacksaw's just trying to find the right formula where – you know, he, he doesn't reward him with an automatic start the next game if he's not going to be fantastic. So that's why, you know, that's why Jones has been getting more opportunities. But, but you know, you know Jones is what Jones has always been. He's, he's, he's going to be as good as the team allows him to be. And, uh, you know, he's not going to stand on his head and lead a team to the Stanley Cup. That, that's not his M.O. Uh, but for right now, when they need somebody to push Grubauer a little bit, Jones has been there, and he's been solid when the defense doesn't make a bunch of mistakes in front of them. Hey, Jeff, just before we let you go, you know, I wanted to ask you a, a bit of an off-the-ice question about the Kraken as well, because, you know, one of the things we've heard from our, our Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada colleague Elliot Friedman recently is that, you know, 
Vegas and Seattle have instantly come in and become top revenue driving teams. You know, not literally one and two, but in the top five, top 10 of revenue driving teams in the NHL instantly. Why has it worked so well from a business standpoint so far for the Seattle Kraken? Yeah, I was telling Elliot that the other night. I was sitting with him in Florida. and so <laughs> There you go. No, no, that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> very good. We used to work together in Toronto. Elliot's uh, very good at what he does. I, 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 I think that in both cases, they have very astute marketing departments. Uh, the Kraken in particular, uh, their ownership group is full of people with expertise in, in marketing and um, in shipping. And I mean, we could go on and on in corporate branding. I mean, they have a CEO of Amazon as one of their, their uh, minority owners. And so like, you know, they're going to know how to sell stuff. That's not a problem. And, and they got Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, who knows how to, mm-hmm. knows how to put some flash and pizzazz into things. And, and so I, I think that that's been a very key part of the whole thing. I mean, you're not dealing with a bunch of guys who, who just, you know, pick stuff out of a hat. They know exactly what they're doing. They target stuff. Um, and and in the Kraken's case, they had a couple of years. To, they, they had a little longer than Vegas did to, to to lead into stuff with all their branding. I mean, they had they had a good two years to do it, and so uh, and they took full advantage of it uh, b- beforehand. I mean, there's nothing else to focus on here in Seattle. They had no players, no coaches, and so they were able to uh, you know focus on the logo and the team. I think that's a big part of it uh, as well. And and look, hockey fans, you know, look, they'll, they'll buy any jerseys. <laughs> they'll buy. I mean, you put you can put six alternate jerseys out there. They'll snatch up every one of them. That that seems to be something that this sport is good for. It's got very passionate fans, maybe the most passionate fans in all of sports. Uh, very territorial fans, very protective fans. And so, when you put your colors out there, uh, they they tend to rally around them. Um, why it's selling so well on a national level? That, that's a good question. I, I can't answer that. I think the success of Vegas had a lot to do with it. Uh, but you can't argue that in the Kraken's case because the Kraken weren't very successful on the ice last season, but they sure were successful at selling their logo. I, I go everywhere. I was on a beach in Cancun last weekend for my birthday, and I saw a guy walk by in a Kraken jersey, and that, <laughs> that's not as common as you think because you get people from East Coast Canada going down there, but you don't get them from West Coast all that often. Uh, it's a long flight, and so uh, I thought that was very cool. Uh, Jeff, really appreciate the time and the insight. Best of luck making it up to Vancouver yeah, for tomorrow, travels, and, and uh, have a great holiday season as well. Hey, I'm Canadian. I'll, I'll figure out. I'll figure <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Jeff. Yeah. That is Jeff Baker covering the Seattle Kraken for the Seattle Times, and of course he'll be here for uh, the game between the two teams. Yeah, this Kraken still haven't still ha- it feels like the last. I don't know. The last check they need to, or box they need to check to kind of, okay, we're officially not a disappointing expansion team anymore, right? We got to gotta get this done. Got to beat, as Jeff said, this team that struggles to beat anyone else. <laughs> we have to finally get that mark on our resume to, uh, to, to, to really establish ourselves here. I don't think they're going to do it. You think it's going to be the Canucks? I do. It has like... Is it is there is it a matchup thing? Is no, it, or is it just a random no. thing? I mean, you could not outplay a team more significantly than the Kraken did when Vancouver beat them in their first for their first win of the season in late October. Like the Canucks were horrendous that night. I know they came out Miller and Bo Horvat fought, remember? Yes. Or yeah. no, sorry, no, that's Miller, Miller and Pearson. And- Pearson and Horvat tried to fight. And Horvat tried to fight Vince Dunn. Yeah, but the <laughs> Vince Dunn was like, no, we already have defensemen in the box. I'm not doing that. And then the Canucks score on that shift. 
and you know then the, the, the Miller there's the Miller block late right I mean here's the thing go watch that game again or go look at just go look at the shot counter I mean the Kraken were all over Vancouver and they still couldn't get it done I feel like that's what we're gonna see again tomorrow it's it's gonna be one of those one of those that I just this there's something about this five-game losing streak where I just feel like it's going to last. I feel like the Kraken are going to be like a you know a 98 to 104 point team yeah. that for some reason couldn't beat the Canucks a single time this season. That, it's interesting. Just my gut. Just my gut. Hey, this Kraken team, though, is pretty good. You know what? They've, I, been, they've been a lot better than I was expecting, for I, sure. I think they're, they're going to make the playoffs this year. I, I, I don't want to say there's no question. There's no doubt about it right now, but They've got, I think they've got, they've got some wiggle room at the moment, right? Like it's, sure. we've talked about it yesterday. It's basically nine teams competing for the playoffs, like really seriously competing for the playoffs in the Western Conference and at this may, point. And maybe St. Louis gets into the mix. Yeah. Although I I would be very hesitant to bet on any sort of sustained success from St. Louis they at can't this move point. The puck. Well, it just, they're so up and down. Well, they can't move. Like, even more than we talk about it with the Canucks, right? Where we say, well, they're going to have two weeks where they, you know, they win a bunch of games and then they're going to have two weeks where they can't win a game to save their life. Like, St. Louis is even more that. Well, St. You know Louis, what I mean? But St. Louis is more that in that they have higher highs. Like, exactly. they have, they have, they're, they have. But they've had some pretty low lows, too. They, but they, yeah, they their have, highs well, are higher. But, but you're always going to have low lows if you can't control games. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's fundamentally the issue that both Vancouver and St. Louis have. It's just that I th- I think St. Louis has the has a little more capacity to to go on real runs as opposed to you know hey nine of eight nine of thirteen eight of eight of eleven oh, man it's so it's so sad it's so sad sad what we've been reduced to in this market like the things that are clung to for hope it's like well if you take out the first seven games of the season and also only look at games played on Thursday that start at seven thirty <laughs> this team his team they're hot now. If you look at take out the first seven games of the season and only look at the road record, yeah, I'm like ooh, all right, yeah. <laughs> and and ignore the fact that we're at twenty four days in counting or twenty five days in counting since the Canucks last one in regulation. Uh, by the way, you were talking about uh, the Artem Zub deal and running through the calculations that basically he is a, officially a top pairing defender based on that salary. And Tyler texted in, so based on your defender pay scale, the Canucks have three defensemen that are top pairing. I always knew they had a great blue line. That's from Tyler. I mean, the problem is, is that they have one top pair defenseman, but three guys paid like yes, it. like that's the problem. They have one top pair defenseman, and then a bunch of guys who probably on a good team would be like third pairing at the moment. Yeah, you'd think there's more upside for think, some of them. You'd think they could be four or five guys, but they aren't playing that way at the moment. Um, it's not ideal. No, it's a huge problem. At so. My buddy Cam Sharon wrote a really interesting piece at his blog spot. You can only read it with a subscription, but check him out. Uh, he's Cam Sharon YVR on Twitter. Um, so he wrote a really interesting piece because he's tracking these games yeah. in excruciating detail. And so he has basically like how many seconds it takes teams to exit the zone, right? So the first two seconds after a shot attempt. So we're talking like. Goalie makes a kick save or whatever. Yeah, and the defender is, retrieves the yeah. puck. For the first two seconds, the Canucks and their opponents are not different. Neither team exits the zone all that effectively in the first two seconds after uh, possession changes hands by way of a shot attempt. 
from three to 15 seconds, though, the differences become massive. Like, other teams get going. Other teams effectively create the hockey version of a fast break. And the Vancouver Canucks play, like, 1950s basketball. They're, like, waiting (laughs) to throw it into the post. Like, the difference is massive. And then even on exit, in these situations, it's like other teams enter the Canucks zone 66. So two-thirds of the time, once you get out of your zone with control of the puck, the team's also getting into the Canucks zone. And you know what? Usually with speed. Usually that's going to be a pretty dangerous chance. The Canucks are at, like, 43%. So it's like... There's an extra third of rush chances that their opponents are generating that the Canucks are not. And and how does this look? Like, it looks like this. It looks like other teams flying in Canucks wow. goaltenders, and then the Canucks failing to have that, like, layer, that push, you know, that the two-on-two that doesn't become a four-on-two, that well, doesn't become a three-on-two. They have to do everything against the set defense. Yeah. Right, which is why we talk a lot about man, they can't really get to the dangerous areas of the ice because the defense is always set. The defense is always back. You're always going against five dudes who are already back in the defensive zone. It's partly a speed issue, right? It's partly a lack of quality defensive personnel with like good offensive mm-hmm. instincts. But also, it's hard for me to ignore that it's probably partly like you got to pay a price. I know in hockey, people think of paying a price as like blocking a shot or like doing something like you know. Hypermasculine, but you know in soccer in soccer like they'll say you know to to win is pain because of the amount that you have to you run. gotta run you gotta press yeah. right you know like uh that's um your uh clop clop sure clops like soccer is pain is like a, a key tenant of his um what's it called the, philosophy well no it's called a, a gergen press yeah okay yeah, i was yeah, trying yeah, to come yeah. up with the soccer version of a blitz you know anyway it's called a gergen press. i know at some point, you got to pay the price. It feels like so often in these situations, Canucks defenders are like going to change, and it's like sometimes you got to pay the price. Sometimes you got to skate, hustle to make it a to make it a three on two. And then, you know, I don't care if you're Kyle Burrows, not to like call Kyle Burrows out. I don't think his work rate's at issue, but it's like Kyle Burrows is not necessarily like a threat. No, you score? don't. You don't tap him on the shoulder and say, "Hey, we need a goal." You know, go out there, Kyle Burrows. Hey, hey Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Green light. <laughs> you got the green light. Like, yeah, no, that's never happened in his career, probably since he became a pro. But you know, it makes a huge difference even just to be there, just just take that fourth man's ice. The Canucks aren't paying that price. They're just not. And as a result, they're the slower team. And as a result, they're getting outscored and massively outchanced on the rush. And you know, hey, look. It's one of many issues, but it's an issue. It's Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz filling in for Halford and Bruff. Our guy Chris Faber will join us in the next segment. Remember to keep getting your What We Learn submissions in, including a ticket emoji uh, for your chance to win tickets to the Kraken and Canucks game at Rogers Arena tomorrow. The best submission will win those tickets. We'll read them in the 830 segment. But again, up next, Chris Faber from Canucks Army here on Sportsnet 650.